Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Perfectionism doesn't exist in a vacuum within us. It's a social phenomenon. The only way that which we can understand or know that we've done something well or we've done something perfectly is when we compare it with what's happening in the outside world or that we're given validation or approval to tell us it's okay. And if we don't receive that approval or that validation, then that is a signal to us that we're not good enough, that we are flawed. That very focus on growth doesn't allow us to accept that in this moment, we're okay, we're good enough. This kind of incomprehensible miracle that is our existence should mean that just existing means we're enough. Yes. The growth mindset really kind of denies us that something that's quite beautiful about that kind of realization because it always teaches us that there's always more to do. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Tom Curran, absolutely lovely to see you. How are you? Thanks, Simon. I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. A little rushed, as you know, what with babies and whatever else, but uh, delighted to be with you. And I have to say, I chuckled to myself, right? Because obviously, when I record a podcast, I have a start time and I had a little bet with myself. I bet you'll be early. And you were. I could see you loading up three minutes early. And that is in no way a surprise, is it? Because you're a recovering perfectionist, as outlined in your fantastic book, The Perfection Trap. So first things first, thanks for being early slash on time. And secondly, congratulations on what is a fascinating bit of work. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, um, it. I, I hope people enjoy it. I have to say, as a recovering perfectionist, it wasn't the easiest process to actually write. Uh, and I think by the end of it, my editor was ready to throttle me uh, because I was still trying to make changes just before we go to print. But uh, we got there in the end, and I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, I was going to ask how the process was as someone who has perfectionist tendencies, and I can relate to this, you know, um, it's torturous at the best of not at the best of times, let's say at the worst of times, uh, writing a book. So with those tendencies, how painful did it get? Well, let's put it this way. One of the things that's really tough for a perfectionist is to kind of write something, think you've done it reasonably well, read it back at the time, think that's okay. Go back two days later, read it again and think, oh my goodness me, who wrote that? <laughs> like, yeah, I that is absolutely terrible so you delete the whole thing you start again and rinse repeat and that's why this process can be lengthy for the perfectionists because everything they do and and i include myself in this is is never quite good enough mm. uh, and when you come back to it you feel like it could be made better so you constantly tinker iterate change edit and it takes a long time it certainly does yes i i can relate to that fully. Now, I think uh, I said to you just before we started recording how eager I was to get you on because I think the the message that you are talking about in the perfection trap, the power of good enough in a world that always wants more, fabulous subheading, is so called for at this moment in time. There's so much emphasis on being your best self, that old saying, and hustling and striving to get to the very top of the tree and all that kind of stuff, which I think is pretty corrosive to the soul. Mm. Um, and that seems to be something that resonates with you too. Absolutely. I, I think we live in an age where nothing we ever do is ever good enough because there's always something more. And success is a bit of a bottomless pit that depletes us in its pursuit. And I describe it in the book a bit like trying to chase the horizon. And yes. the closer we get, the further it gets away from us. And this is kind of what it's like to live in modern society. Now, I want to reiterate, and I think your listeners, is, it's really important to, to recognize that this is by design. The economy spins on an axis which is dependent upon consumption and work. Right? We need to be constantly doing those two things in order for our economy to grow. And so it's quite natural and understandable for us to be held in a kind of holding pattern of not necessarily discontent, but certainly disquiet about our existing life circumstances mm. so that we keep consuming, so that we keep uh, uh, working to try to better ourselves. Uh, however, I think my book is really a kind of call to, to take another look at that particular way of living and try to maybe forge within that society uh, a more contented um, and peaceful existence. Yeah, to see through that trap, like you say, it, it's that consistent pursuit of more i mean advertising as we know for example you know if you're associated with a famous person or even a dead famous person or a young attractive person you know the implication being have this product you will be more like that of mm. course though that's utter baloney and we'll come to that kind of deeper structural societal side of things but i want to i want to really sort of start with you because you are a recovering perfectionist which you describe yourself as and i suppose it's it's a, a journey that never ends in many ways 
can we just talk a bit about how that manifested in your life? Because I know, for example, you know, in the book, you talk about there was a breakup that you went through a particularly painful breakup. And rather than sharing it, you bottled it up. That then also led to separately, but also combined, you know, while you're at university, just working obscenely long hours and all of this eventually just, you know, the, the top blew off to a degree. And, mm. and finally you sought help and were given this diagnosis, as it were, that the stem of a significant chunk of your problems and self-induced stress was coming from perfectionism. So can you just talk about your own personal journey? Because they do say research is me search, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, and, and I really wanted in the book to be quite open about my own uh, experiences of perfectionism uh, my own background, because I think social science books written by social scientists uh, in the academic field can sometimes miss information about where people are coming from, the lens of which they view the world. Social science is not a hard and fixed science. It's not biology. It's not physics. Uh, we do social research and we can do the most rigorous research we can possibly do, but we still have to interpret that data in ways that align with our belief systems. And I want people to be upfront and understand that this is where I come from. And so my experiences of perfectionism really shaped the way that I see perfectionism. And as you, as you mentioned, one of the things throughout my uh, young adult life that became a really diff difficulty for me was dealing with my perfection, dealing with those excessive pressure to excel at all times, which works to a certain extent but then when things go wrong as you mentioned I describe in the book a, a particularly difficult uh, situation with a partner uh, that's when things start to snowball and a trigger can then become can, can kind of spread into all spheres of our life and impact how we think feel uh, we begin to become depressed anxious low mood uh, which then we use more perfectionism ironically to try to drive through those issues because we think and this is very common for perfectionists. We think perfectionism is the one thing when everything and all around us is kind of collapsing, right? Is the one thing holding us up in the world. But we need to recognize that often it's actually the perfection in itself that's creating those problems. And if we can address the perfectionism, uh, then though the power of those sort of anxiety or depressive feelings will, will melt away. So, so for me, that's the biggest thing. If there's one biggest thing that I want people to get from the book is kind of push through that myth about perfectionism being something that holds us up. Uh, it's really yeah. something that creates a lot of distress. Just briefly, tell me about that eureka moment then when the therapist said perfectionism. Well, it was it was difficult at first because you fight against it. Um, people who are perfectionists, they kind of think that, you know, they kind of disguise their pain behind a kind of sense of hyper-functioning, maximization. Um, and so you, you really want to fight back against that. But, you know, a skillful therapist is able to kind of peel away those thoughts, those feelings, those behaviors are able to show you how actually, rather than helping you, they're creating a lot of conflict in your life, a lot of rumination and brooding and, and stress, which is creating a lot of exhaustion and burnout. And over time, you just, you, you kind of you, you get to this point where you are able to see very clearly, actually, yeah, like, <laughs> this, this pressure that I'm putting myself through far from helping me is really holding me back um and it's it, that from that moment on really it was I, I was already in the academic system but it was something that i thought well you know i need to look into this more you know because i think we misunderstand this thing a lot in modern culture and you know the more you delve into the research the more you do the research the more you find out uh, the more you can see quite clearly how perfectionism really really does create a lot of problems for people and yet 
it is society's favorite flaw. I think you give the example, don't you, of that classic job interview question, you know, what's your biggest weakness? Well, I'm a perfectionist. And it's like, hey, great, you're hired, you know? So it's still put on something of a pedestal. Absolutely. We we definitely celebrate perfectionism in today's society. And I see that, you know, my students kind of racked with perfectionism, but they genuinely think it's the, the thing that's, that's made them successful. And you work with them and you try to say, you know, there are more healthier ways to strive, you know, like conscientiousness, being diligent and persevering, meticulousness when it's needed and all these great things that aren't perfectionism, very different to perfectionism. But still there's a sense that, you know what, but I have to be perfect. Like I'm not going to succeed in this world if I'm not perfect. It's really competitive out there. There are so many people who I'm competing against. Uh, and this isn't just at elite universities. You see this all over the place in the workplace, in, in just general society. When we talk, talked earlier about consumer culture and how social media in particular, uh, how we're very much placed against each other on a kind of social hierarchy. And, and it can feel impossible because everybody else seems to be perfect, right? So I think very much it's the case that we radiate perfection as a, as a culture that really is internalized by people. Our culture radiates perfection, so we radiate too. And rather than celebrating perfectionism, it is fundamentally a form of neuroticism, isn't it? And it leads to, as, as you've already mentioned, a lack of balance to, to burnout, to depression, to anxiety, all these things. Yeah, it's definitely um, highly correlated with uh, neuroticism. It does create a lot of worry, as I say, rumination about how we're doing relative to other people, a hypervigilance of other people's performances relative to our own. Perfectionists can be really competitive people. Yeah, so it's it's definitely something I think we misunderstand. There's, it's not to say that we can't have high standards or we can't yes. be aspirational. This isn't what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this kind of need, this neurotic, as you mentioned, as you described, neurotic desire to be perfect is something that we've kind of mistakenly believe is, is necessary for success when actually it's not the case. Yeah, you talked about just then perfectionism not being equated with high standards. And in the book, I, th I think it's your grandfather, isn't it? Who was the, correct me if I'm wrong, he made woodwork stuff or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But he wasn't a perfectionist. He just had high standards. He didn't need it to be validated. He was like, okay, I'm doing, I'm creating to the level that I'm content with and then would put it out and move on. So there is this fundamental difference between high standards and perfectionism. So how would you, you know, clearly define that for, for someone listening so that they can really make that distinction? This is so, so important, Simon. So, and I think this is one of the biggest myths that, we, that, that kind of pervade about perfectionism. This is the idea of perfectionism is high standards. I'm a perfectionist because I define myself by the high standards I set for myself. Well, that's only half the story because there are many people out there who also have high standards but aren't perfectionists. And, and the example I give is my grandfather because when I think back to uh, spending time with grandfather, he was a master carpenter, uh, very famous in the local area, still has his work in uh, a number of pubs, which is amazing because you can go back to these places and see your grandfather like work. It's almost like he's still there sort of thing. But an incredible individual, hugely high standards, um, meticulous, but not a perfectionist. Because he would make these things, he would make everyday things uh, that people needed. And he'd take them out of his workshop to the place where they're going to be installed. And he would just leave them there 
He wouldn't loiter for approval. He wouldn't wait for a five-star rating. He wouldn't put it on Instagram and hope people give him fire emojis. None of these things mattered in his world. And if he made a mistake, if he missed a bit of varnish, if he left a screw tip jutting imperceptibly out of the wood, he would just let those mistakes wash through him as sure a sign of his imperfection or his inherent fallibility is his sciatica or wrinkles. Like <laughs> these things were not massive issues for him because he was able to see the bigger picture that he was making things that people needed and used and enjoyed and that is a sign and a mark of someone who's got high standards and is able to see satisfaction in what he's created um the perfectionist is singly unable to do that they worry they ruminate they need other people's approval they need that validation in order to soothe the um fear of not being good enough and that's a very different thing to yeah. uh, someone like my grandfather who just had very high standards and was an excellent person in his vocation. It sounds like he understood clearly that perfection on the level of form, you know, is impossible. It's an illusion. And you talked then about he, he didn't seek approval. He didn't need approval. He didn't need the five-star ratings. And the link then between perfectionism and external approval is clearly extremely high and that reminds me of, of you talking about your TED talk where you've spoken about your leg wobbling and wanting everyone to give you a standing ovation and everything like that and and I think so many people could resonate with that is you know when we do something whether it be write a book give a talk whatever it may be piece of work you know instead of it being okay we're the we're the ones who will who will decide whether it's good enough it's no we need that validation externally and that is fundamentally linked with perfectionism oh it's you you cannot perfectionism is a it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum within us uh it's it's a social phenomenon it is something that has a heavy um social strain that's to say that the only way that which we can understand or know that we've done something well or we've done something perfectly is when we compare it with what's happening in the outside world or that we're given validation or approval to tell us it's okay, that was good. And if we don't receive that approval or that validation, then that is a signal to us that we're not good enough, that we are flawed and that those things we know deep down about ourselves that we don't want other people to know, well, they've just been exposed because I haven't received the praise or whatever that I was expecting to receive. And this is the same with the TED Talk. Um, TED's really interesting. And the, the audience have a subtle way of telling you whether they liked it or whether they thought it was just okay. And if they liked it, it was a stand innovation, raucous applause. And if it was just okay, it was a very polite, seated applause. So, you know, you know instantly as soon as you finish the talk, whether it was like a rousing speech or whether it's just, you know, run of the mill. And for a perfectionist like me, there's there's a kind of sense that ah, I needed that approval from the audience to tell me that, yeah, this was a good talk, because if I didn't get that, then I would instantly go in on myself and think that I did a really bad job. And that's what happened. And I tell that story because I think, you know, a lot of people can resonate with the sense that it's the external validation and approval that we're so desperately in need of. And when it doesn't arrive... Uh, that can make us feel really, really bad about ourselves. And that's a, that's a very strong signal of a perfectionist. 
And that seeking validation, that seeking approval, that also is a, is a bottomless pit. If you talk about that horizon, isn't it? It's, it's like a dopamine hit. You know, we have to keep coming back for more and more and more. It, there will never be a time when, okay, I got just enough approval on this occasion. That's filled me up and I won't need approval again. It doesn't work like that at all. And that comes back to this, and you've alluded to it just there, this, this core belief underpinning perfectionism it sounds like from reading your work which is i'm not enough this fundamental shame core belief that i'm not good enough that i I think is in all of us to a certain degree you know it's almost inevitable as we grow up isn't it but Yeah. yeah but obviously when it comes to perfectionism it's it's really driving everything it's really strong and you're absolutely right with the approval piece. You know, the better we do, the better we, we feel like we're expected to do. This is um, this is why it's like a treadmill, right? It's never, ever enough because you can do the most amazing performance. You can have the most amazing success. And then there's something else that needs yeah. to be done. And, 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 another, and you feel like, and this is very classic of the profession, you feel like, okay, well, now I've set the bar here. So everyone else is going to expect me to keep being here. And so I'm going to have to like, set goals that are higher than here so I can make sure that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living up to the expectation that people have of me. So again, like it goes back to this kind of unrelenting sense that we're just never quite good enough ever. You know, this goes on forever because the circle can't be closed. And I think that's a, you know, the, the, the approval piece, the other people's validation piece is a really important piece of that because it is other people's approval that we're forever chasing and that we don't think we'll ever quite reach. So, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really important that people see perfectionism, not just as kind of this, oh, I have perfect standards for myself, but actually I have perfect standards for myself because I'm a need of other people's approval, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, which brings us then to, you know, two of the stars of your book. So Paul Hewitt and Gord Flett, and they've come up with three types of perfectionist, which you outlined. So can you just so well, to summarize, self-orientated, other orientated and socially prescribed. So could just quickly, let's just rattle through them one by one. So self-orientated. So self-orientated is is a is, is kind of what most people would think about when they think about perfectionism, the kind of quintessential overstriver. It's high and excessive standards for ourselves, which is fused to high self-criticism when we haven't met those standards. But Paul and Gord have done a lot of work in this area over decades, and they've spoken to hundreds of perfectionists. And one of the things they learned was that perfectionism wasn't just this kind of self-set standards. Perfectionists also had a belief system about the world around them, which included a, a sense that other people expect me to be perfect. So this is socially prescribed perfectionism. This is a sense that other people in the external environment expect perfection of me, and they're judging me really harshly when I haven't been perfect. And the third element that they noticed in perfectionistic people was perfectionism that's turned outwards onto others. So not only do we have high standards, we also think that other people expect high standards of us, but we also expect high standards of other people. So I turn my perfectionism onto you. And if you haven't been perfect or you haven't lived up to a certain standard that I expect, then I'll let you know. And this is other oriented perfectionism. And so people can be, you know, higher or lower on one or the other. Like nobody is like kind of high, high, high on all of them. Uh, some people are high on self, higher on self-oriented, uh, a bit lower on other oriented 
maybe in the middle of socially prescribed. You know, we all kind of have our unique consolation. This is the most interesting thing about perfection, really. There's no one size fits all. But these these are the three key sort of dimensions of perfectionism that we see within people. And they've kind of been the basis for much of the research in this area. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. These are the three key sort of dimensions of perfectionism that we see within people. And they've kind of been the basis for much of the research in this area. And I know you scored highly on two of them, right? Yeah, so I would I don't see myself much as an oriented perfectionist, but I do have uh, a lot of self-imposed pressure and uh, I feel a lot of uh, pressure from the outside world. So I would sound quite high on self, quite high on social, a little bit lower on other. That's not to say I haven't found myself in the trap of expecting high standards of other people. I absolutely have in the past, but it doesn't, it's not a dominant form of my perfectionism. The other two are much greater. I know you talk about socially prescribed perfectionism, just, just being on the rise and you've equated it to around the year, I think 2005. And and I thought it was interesting that you, you um, give a nod to Jean Twenge, I think is how you pronounce it. And um, I'm sure you're aware of the work of Professor Cal Newport. And I had Cal on the pod a while back and, you know, we spoke about like digital minimalism and this kind of thing. And he talked about iGen, in particular, the group of students who went to, in America, for example, high school, at just the time when there was a tipping point in terms of the amount of people who had smartphones and a social media account. And at that exact juncture, Things like anxiety, well, in particular anxiety, in particular amongst girls, just just absolutely went through the roof, and mm. and it was it was um, self reported as well. It wasn't just like okay, hang on, have we got the variables wrong? You know, it was like no, just ask them, and they were saying it's these things, the the phone that I'm holding in my hand right now, you know, that are driving us up the bend. So yeah, can you just talk to this this third, the the socially prescribed 
rise of perfectionism and you know how you see that to have come into existence and the implications of that yeah absolutely i think there has to be a massive role for social media and all of this i think we would be i would be remiss if i didn't dedicate a chapter to it in my book and i did i think jean jean's work jean twang's work is is excellent uh very clear in her analyses and what she finds is uh some actually quite horrifying mm. <laughs> results in terms of the implications for smartphone use on on mental health in the book i think i take a little bit of a deeper dive into that relationship and go a little bit further than just smartphones and just just uh platform apps like instagram and um tiktok i i try to in, in investigate or interrogate the kind of economic framework in which those uh platforms were built um but but you know beyond that that would be the only difference between mine and her thinking i think we're both on the same page at these the social media is is definitely instilling in young people a sense of dependency on um likes shares mentions kind of digital validation tokens so to speak for their self-esteem and this for me is creating a lot of problems in terms of their sense of self-worth and how they perceive other people and they've internalized those standards as kind of perfectionistic standards and we're seeing that in the data particularly in rising socially prescribed perfectionism which is some of the data that i've analyzed which is exploding exponentially right now so you know there's definitely a case that socially prescribed perfectionism is 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 rising because of the ubiquity of smartphones and the ubiquity of social media platforms that kind of project perfection as 24 seven. A few other things that I found really interesting that I want to talk about before we sort of dive in towards the end of, in terms of some of the solutions, if you, if you like, and some of the answers. So we spoke at the beginning about how, you know, perfectionism is, is typically or often seen as this desirable trait. There are certain other things as well that have just been not really questioned. So for example, people talking about their best self, but also things like grit. And then I found very interesting growth mindset. Now I've spoken about growth mindset a few times and I interviewed someone about it. I've actually, I've interviewed, I spoke to Carol Dweck a while back Yeah, and I found that my own view of it has really evolved. And I spoke to um, a chap who sort of tried to replicate some of the research here in the UK and he's like, look, it's just it, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And he, he came up with this quite interesting line, which was something like 80% of teachers who believe in the power of growth mindset is the same number, so 80%, who actually don't know how to Im- implement it and get any benefit from it. So my, my own view of it is that it's, it's massively overhyped and potentially even somewhat destructive. So I was interested to read that you're not a huge growth mindset advocate yourself. I'm not Simon. I've always been uneasy. So going, if you're a social psychologist, just uh, and you're going through the academic system, at some point you'll be met with the the sort of growth mindset, the coward, direct work, fixed, uh, and uh, incremental mindsets, uh, which essentially kind of differentiate between two types of mindsets: one that's kind of very rigid and focused on outcomes, one that's focused on development and learning in the basic, in a very basic sense, um, and everyone's very enamored with this approach and i've always i've always been a little bit uneasy with it for no other reason than really i don't want my mind to be set on anything irrespective of if it's healthy or whatever i want some flexibility to be able to have times when i'm low times when i'm down times when i'm actually regressing times when i'm standing still and yes times when i'm growing but the kind of rigidity of that 
what we call a mindset it's, it's always struck me as kind of uneasy but beyond that one of the things that i think is is i think we have to be aware with the growth mindset is it can easily turn over into an obsession with things like excellence which can turn over to in, into an obsession with perfection and why do i say that well we're often told aren't we you can't let your failures your setbacks things that go wrong define you you have to let them teach you you have to always essentially take those failures setbacks and rehabilitate them in some way yeah. on the redemptive arc of growth or yeah. excellence now i have a problem with this because what that tells us is something that's a little bit unhuman and that's that actually we shouldn't let those failures setbacks sit with us for a little bit that we have to immediately recycle them into something else anything else that isn't the failure and and i think as humans we are flawed imperfect exhaustible creatures deep down we do know that and if we're constantly told that we have to do something else with those failures and setbacks as to say recycle them rehabilitate them rather than just let them in and accept them as part of our common humanity i think there's something also deeply unhuman about kind of this constant strife for growth yeah. and left unchecked over time one of the things i'm trying to argue in the book is essentially that can growth and more growth and more growth and more growth can lead to perfectionism because it kind of denies us the psychological realities of other types of being that aren't always us moving for in a forward direction if that makes sense yeah uh, and the implication is isn't it is that you know if we've always got to be better if we've always got to improve is that we're not okay now you know so the implicit message is that you know you you can't be satisfied with yourself because there's always room for improvement and of course there is room for improvement but at the same time it's like that old zen saying you're perfect as you are but there's always room for a little bit of an improvement and and there, it is that sort of that middle ground and just about growth mindset quickly again it i really like what you said there around you know allowing room for for change because you know what is a mindset other than a, a way of thinking and and clearly like thoughts the mind by its very nature is always changing you know i know from from my own experience you know sometimes i'm like god i'm doing really well and other times it's like god i'm really messing up you know and i can apply that to any area of my life is that Thoughts by their very nature, whether they're about myself, about other people, uh, they're up, they're down. And so this idea that you can pin it down into, into one area and, and really hone that, first, I think, is just totally an inaccurate representation of reality. And again, is, is harmful in suggesting that, well, no, you're not OK if you're not allowing for this kind of up and down nature of mind, which is its very nature. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This idea that... That very focus on growth doesn't allow us to accept that in this moment, we're okay, we're good enough, that, that you know, we, we exist, we live, we live on this planet, this kind of incomprehensible miracle that is our existence should mean that just existing means we're enough. Yes. The growth mindset really kind of denies us that or something that's quite beautiful about that kind of realization because it always teaches us that there's always more to do. And I want to be clear on this, and you're absolutely right too, to add in the caveat that it isn't about not wanting to move forward, but human growth, you know, real growth, is about accepting that there is a place you want to go, a destination. I think Carl Rogers put it beautifully when he said, you know, I am at my greatest 
when I am pursuing goals to which I'm dimly aware, moving in a more or less forward direction, but <laughs> letting nice. life wash over me. Yeah. And I think that's so important because it doesn't mean you can't want to be in a certain place. You can't be aspirational. You can't try. It just means that at the same time, it's okay to accept that not everything's going to go to plan and that's okay. We're still enough. We exist. We, we, you know, we put one foot in step in front of the other. We go again next time. And I think that's for me anyway, that's a, that, that's really helped me break through my perfectionism, just accepting that things are not going to always turn out in the way that I hoped or expected they would. And that's okay. You can live next to that, sit comfortably next to that. We can, we can move on. We can go again next time. Absolutely. We're going to experience challenges, tragedy, disappointments. That's the, the very nature of life. And we're far less in control than we think we are. And then you said something which I think is absolutely fundamental a minute ago, which is this idea of or, or this recognition that, you know, we're OK and we're enough simply by dent of the fact that we exist. I always use a, a way to sort of prove this. There's never a point where you'd look at a baby and be like, no, no, they're not enough. They need to crack on and adopt that growth mindset. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's so obvious. But then. I mean, it's not just a societal thing. Obviously, it's the way the human mind as it currently is works is this. We start to embed these stories of, oh, I'm not enough. You know, we interpret perhaps uh, rejection or or perceived rejection from parents, from school or, or, you know, sizing up. And then we internalize these stories that we're not enough. But underneath those stories, we are enough and have always been enough. And it's getting through to that insight that's fundamental. Absolutely. And, it, you, you know, if you look at young people, young people actually are really interesting. Because if you look at young people's joy at just being alive, I mean, even yeah. even the poorest children, they have this kind of intrinsic joy of just being alive with themselves and their feelings. And I think that, that as we grow older in, in modern society, that kind of gets it's beaten out of us this kind of this kind of almost just joy of existence yeah <laughs> because and you know i'm very provocative in my book uh, perhaps deliberately so but i'm very clear that this is this is by design that you know our intrinsic nature is to accept and 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 try to find contentment with with our existence but that we are told at all times that we should never stand still that we have to want and yearn and crave for more because, again, it goes back to this idea that this is how the economy works. If we weren't held in this state of needing more, then you can guarantee that they would have catastrophic consequences in, at a societal level because mm. the destruction of demand would create a recession, businesses would close, jobs would be lost, services would go, and the whole fabric of society as we know it would start to crumble because we're not consuming and we're not working in sufficient measure. And I think our challenge, and I'm really uh, pointed about it, our challenge is to figure out how we can live inside an economy that, it's a steady state economy. It doesn't have to grow at all times that where people can feel contented and enough can land their own planes as well as the, the economic plane. We could say, okay, we've reached a level of abundance where we're happy with. And now we can stay in this state of relative um, abundance uh, and live contentedly. That's our challenge. That for me in modern society that values its human, human wellbeing, that is the core challenge. Um, because it's so sad to see so many people discontent when yeah. our inner nature is to is to is to find inner peace. So, 
yeah that's that's yeah no absolutely and and i want to come back to that societal piece in a sec but yeah that reminds me i I spoke to a guy called donald hoffman um recently and and he said that he spent time with people who were on their deathbed and so many of them would say things like you know i feel like i've been distracted my whole life always looking to the future that horizon you mentioned as opposed to that simple joy of being that is our innate nature you know until we get into let's say the system which starts so early doesn't it it starts with school you know where we go to school and it's like okay you, you know you year one and then you're aiming for year two and then you're aiming for your 11 plus or whatever it may be and then your GCSEs to get to your A-levels, to get to university, to get your first job, to get your promotion. You know, it's just this never-ending, you know, chase, 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 chase. It's so deeply entrenched, isn't it? Now, we'll come back to, to that as well as the kind of more personal piece. But j- just quickly, because we've mentioned children, you, you had some nice words on, on parenting. Because, again, I've gone around to people's houses and seen the poster on the on the fridge saying you know talking about growth mindset for example right but actually i would imagine that you would say take that poster down and advocate well you talk specifically about the sort of parenting you advocate so briefly can you just just talk a little bit to this i mean first of all i just want to say this is like i understand why parents push children in this culture and society because i don't think there's any choice uh, if you look out into the world and uh, and you're a parent and you want the best for your children you're going to see a difficult situation you're going to see an economy that's turning against them uh, you're going to see house prices that are becoming ever more unaffordable uh, you're going to see jobs becoming more insecure and poorly paid particularly at the bottom and you're going to think right the only way my child is going to get ahead in this world is if they get themselves a degree, an advanced degree, and find themselves in a very narrow set of elite professions, finance, law, medicine, um, and, and all the rest of it. Because those really are only the, the only professions right now in this world that's going to guarantee you a level of affluence. It's going to, going to essentially allow you a quality of life that everybody says, you know, is the good life, right? Car, house, family, yada, yada, yada. Because at every other stage of the social uh, str- uh, strata now, it's becoming much more difficult. And we've, we're seeing in the data that, you know, there's downward mobility, cost of living is becoming a much more of a problem. Asset prices are high and staying high, even in, a, in an in- inflationary environment with high interest rates. And it seems like if you're looking out into that world, gosh, I'm going to have to push my kids really hard because otherwise it's going to be really tough for them. So I completely understand it. However, we have to understand also that there's an inadvertent impact that it has on young people because if we keep telling them to do more and we, we only praise them when they've done something well and kind of defer praise when they haven't done something well, that teaches them that it, they're only really worth something in this world when they've achieved. And that, you know, the love and approval and, and affection is kind of, um, is, is, is only granted when there's been some kind of success or some kind of uh, good behavior or good uh, good outcome for the child and otherwise uh, otherwise not and so I think the most important thing for parents to recognize is there has to be an unconditionality of their regard towards children as to say no matter what happens that there's praise there's love there's affection right when they've done well don't go overboard equally when they haven't done quite so well give them support love hugs approval and tell them you know that it's not the end of the world right? Like one bad grade is not an indictment on themselves. It doesn't 
have an impact on how their teacher or you feel about them. And it's one assessment metric of many other types of assessment metric that tell us all sorts of things about, you know, where we are in our, in our academic journey. Um, so it's really, really important to make sure that everything, in everything you do, there's a kind of unconditionality and warmth about uh, parenting um, and to focus young people's minds on things that they enjoy too, right? To try and build purpose and and value in the kind of gift of learning itself rather than the outcome. So really, mm. really give young people autonomy if you possibly can on what they study, uh, encourage their passions and desires, uh, sorry, their passions in terms of, you know, vocational stuff or maybe sports, music. Uh, these things are really healthy for young people. So, yeah, I mean, those are the things I would say, but definitely the unconditionality is, is such an important piece. It's really important not to make the way we treat young people conditional on how they, how they, uh, how they're performing. But as I say, it's tough. It is tough for parents these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, there's a power in vulnerability in showing your kids that actually, you know, you, you know, you're vulnerable as well and that you're prone to these sort of up and downs to, to, to normalize them rather than, as we said earlier, this kind of expectation that you should always have this specific, Hey, I'm doing great mindset. No, you know, things do bob and weave. Right. Let's just talk then about the, the two strands the do-it-yourself strand so you're a big uh, exponent as i am about self-acceptance so can you just talk a little bit about this and I-, I read somewhere as well that you said you know accepting ourselves as good enough is key but you said it's one thing to say it another to believe it so can you just talk about self-acceptance and its challenges yeah i mean again like is I think I, I'm trying to be pragmatic with the book. I'm trying to be realistic. And what I'm trying to say is that this isn't something you can, there's no quick fix, right? Like there's no life hack that I could tell a perfectionist right now on this podcast that they do X and they'll feel instantly better. Um, you know, self-acceptance as a broad philosophy is a journey with no particular endpoint you know there's no you, there's no one person not in the entire world is completely accepting of themselves and and has this kind of non-perfectionistic mindset you know i think at some level we will always harbor some doubts and in some cases that's kind of natural to do so um, but but what's really important is to embark on the journey nonetheless to say i am going to push myself out there into the world knowing it's going to be terrifying at first, knowing there's going to be filled with trepidation and fear, uh, but doing it anyway and taking small steps in the right direction. So if you, for instance, are a a very, um, uh, you know, you fear doing things like public speaking, well, put your hand up to do a little talk at, uh, at work, maybe do a presentation, okay? Maybe in front of you, just your team. And, and go through the fear that though that will instill, but do it anyway. Again, you know, if you feel like writing is not your strength or put your hand up to, to lead on the writing of a report or project, or if you're at school or university and you're working in, in a group project, put your hand up to do the writing. Again, you know, that's going to feel really uncomfortable at first, but it's about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And if you can continue to do that and make a pledge to yourself to do that a little bit more every day, to push yourself out in the world, to show your real self to the world a little by little by little, then you will take then you will find that 
perfectionism and perfectionistic thoughts and feelings start to lose their power over you little by little by little and the other thing i would say is as you embark on that journey you're going to encounter a lot of setbacks you're going to encounter a lot of failures you're going to encounter a lot of maybe even criticism from other people that think things didn't go quite so well so you have to remind yourself all times to be kind to yourself don't go in on yourself don't say how could you be so stupid don't punish yourself for putting yourself in that position but say i did it I put myself out there. That was really brave and it didn't go quite to plan, but that's okay. I'm only human. I'm going to treat myself with kindness. Every time things don't go quite so well, treat yourself with kindness. Self-compassion is so important. So taking little steps out of your comfort zone and making sure that you treat yourself with kindness at all times through that process is really uh, central. And again, you know, this won't heal your perfectionism overnight maybe it will never heal it totally at all but i can tell you from personal experience that what it will do is it will embolden you to go out into the world to put yourself forward to put things out there uh, for other people to read to view um, to criticize maybe even and you you can let those things in and not feel that they're a total catastrophe in terms of your self-worth that you you know you're almost more resilient to the world uh, and more open to it. So that's what self-acceptance means to me. And uh, as I say, in the book, I tried to provide some practical steps, but also some kind of philosophical sound bites that I hope it inspire people to take that to take that journey. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, acceptance and, and self-acceptance, isn't it? Because you, you talk about healing or getting rid of the perfectionist streak, right? But that's the whole point of acceptance, isn't it? Is to accept your perfectionism. It's the paradox, isn't it? And and when you're, for example, putting yourself into that position, like you said, okay, you, you're reluctant to get up and do a talk. Okay, put your hand up and do the talk. What you're doing is you're accepting the uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that are going to be part and parcel of that. And this is why when I read your line about, you know, it's one thing to say it, it's another to believe it in terms of acceptance, right? I would just question actually whether or not belief is is necessary. It's um, because, and I'm just going to use a bit of an example. Like if I think of my cats, right? My mm-hmm. cats have impeccably high standards. They groom themselves like you wouldn't believe, fastidious with the cat litter tray, like really <laughs> impressive, okay? But there's no way that they're perfectionists. And so this idea that I think that we need to believe something, again, it comes back to that kind of mindset because belief you know, what is a belief? It's just a hardened thought, thoughts chop and change. Mm. Actually, it's just, it's just noticing kind of what's going on, allowing it to be there without resisting it. So without resisting, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this perfectionist tendency or identifying it with it. Oh, this is me. No, Mm. all it is, is like a, I mean, you talk about how it, it's um, inherited to a big degree from your mother, you know, the role of genetics and all that kind of thing. It it predates us so much, right? (laughs) So it's it's part of our let's say our, our makeup in terms of our mind, but it's almost like that mindfulness thing of just just noticing it, being aware of it, not identifying, not resisting it, allowing it to be, and in doing so, you know, you're not seeking to unwind it, right? You're just seeking to notice it and allow it to be there. But in doing that, a side effect, which isn't the goal, but is a, is a side effect, is that naturally it will tend to unwind a bit. Does that resonate? A hundred percent. I think you're absolutely right to push back on me a little bit there because what you're saying is is very, very true. I think um, I think this is also the piece about, you know, where the interaction comes with society, because right now those things, are, it, 
to just to let it be mm. is crucial but really tough because there's so many pressures that push on us to yeah. accentuate yeah. it, amplify it, use it uh, in a way that will maximize, that will, uh, you know, get us ahead and yeah, yeah self-improve or better ourselves or whatever. So this is where the kind of societal stuff comes in because you're absolutely right. There is that kind of serenity and that inner peace that's needed to just, just live and exist and let things, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, just let them, you know, be don't try to push them don't try to squash them but at the same time we also need to be helped out by our society it allows us to do that allows us to live in a world where we can do those things without consequence um and and i think that's our challenge really if we can if we can if we if we can get that right i think we will be a lot happier um but at the moment it's it's tough because we're pushed in so many directions 100 percent i think i think it's that combination isn't it between getting the the personal right and then the societal right and and i mean you give a lovely example in terms of some of your i know you spent some time with some students in italy and obviously they're still barraged by all the usual stuff but i love it you're like the consumerism doesn't get in the way of you know good wine and good food and i was like god they are bang on in italy but but it is like this it's this unchecked growth right that is embedded in society and in the way you know the whole world is living isn't it the kind of neoliberal consumerism type stuff this kind of growth at all costs and when i say all costs you know at the cost of the planet at cost of employees it's really just about that bottom line And, and i've heard you know compared that that growth at all costs mentality that is so endemic it's like cancer in that eventually you know it can destroy the host and you sort of argue that that's in, in many ways where we're headed so yeah from a societal point of view what, where what's your what's your take on it i mean you talk about steady state economy which is fantastic and prioritizing well-being but yeah what's your what's your I, well this is the most provocative part of the book and i know i know it's going to be one that will um you know not be overly well received with certain audiences and i i'm, I'm prepared for that because can i just chip in very quickly tom i would yeah. say I, I think most people will absolutely resonate in my in my in my biased view will absolutely resonate with what you had to say here. So, well, I appreciate that, Simon, because I think one of the things where, um, you know, I was told at the editorial process that, you know, this just be, you know, you got to be careful. Like it's people want a, a nice self-help, you know, book about how what we can do and all the rest of it. And. And that was never really like, I couldn't, what I couldn't do is say to people, here's a lot of societal issues that are driving our perfectionism. Here's what you as individuals can do to overcome them. I wanted to follow the uh, societal problems through to their logical conclusion, which is societal solutions. And that doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do within ourselves to uh, help to overcome perfectionism. But but we have a collective responsibility, I think, to recognize that this is a shared, these are shared tensions and that as shared tensions require shared solutions, collective solutions. So for me, the biggest thing is, as you mentioned, our addiction to growth at all costs. And I think if we can somehow find a way, and there are many, many way more skilled economists that I am wrestling with this idea of how we create steady state growth, uh, and how we exist as, a, as an economy, you know, in a, in a state of good enough, abundant enough. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, these are things that are ongoing and I think we should pay attention to. Uh, prioritizing well-being over GDP, I think that's hugely important. You know, what good is 
you know, 2% GDP, if more people are going to hospital, more people are committing suicide, more people are addicted to drugs on our streets. Like, what good is this economic growth? It's not impacting people. Um, I've talked about, you know, universal basic income, which is being trialed in the UK. Mm. I think that could put a, a, a floor under um, desperation and poverty, which I think is really, really important. And, you know, just bringing inequality into, you know, where it was in the sort of 60s and 70s, Mm. would also be a bad idea either um i think all these things that go some way to help i'm not a political analysis i'm not a, an economist but all these things are just ideas these things are just things that you know i want people to understand and see that there are solutions out there there are things we can think about doing i'm not saying we should do them i'm just saying that this is kind of like a thought experiment of sorts as to what would perfectionism look like in a society that in uh, that did these things or prioritized different things and into my mind it would lose most of its power over yes. us yeah uh so that's re that's really why i wanted to finish the book there and i'm glad you enjoyed it i i like i like i always like going to europe because the europeans just seem to have a little bit of a more balanced they get it you know, right they yeah. kind of get it yeah. certainly the italians <laughs> but listen kind of just to finish it's interesting you talk there about the 70s you know and and, and so many so much of the media in particular look back on or the, the bad 70s but actually that was a time when inequality was at its lowest which i found really interesting and inequality is obviously this 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 huge problem and and just when you said as well about during the editorial process or oh, be careful people want you know this kind of self-help book how to get ahead kind of thing you know there's that wayne gretzky quote which i heard uh alistair campbell use uh recently which is like you know i don't go to where the puck is i go to where the puck is going yeah. and for me tom i think you're absolutely bang on I, I think what you've written about and some of the answers whether it be in terms of acceptance or societal and steady state is exactly where the the, the puck is grow is going so you know and you want to be ahead of the curve than or, or you know ahead of the wave than on top of it or behind it and i i certainly i, I absolutely think you are and, and if i had to sum it up for me, it is. It's like, as you say in the book, the power of good enough, good enough personally and in terms of the way we live our lives. So listen, I think it's uh, absolutely bang on. I, I congratulate you on your work. I think it's uh, a really important message for this exact juncture in time. So uh, listen, I think you've, you've nailed it, mate. Congratulations. Thank you, Simon. I really appreciate it. That was a great chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.